Amen. Well, I trust you are grateful that you responded to the Lord's grace that he gave you this morning to gather and worship. Amen. And for those of you who are joining us online, I sure hope when you were singing that last song that your neighbors could hear you. Are you amazed by Jesus? Amen. The sacrificial love that he has shown each one of us so that we can be here this morning in a right relationship with God, able to worship him, is something amazing. And that's why it's so important. Thank you for making it a priority in your life this morning to gather with God's people, with the family of God, to remind each other through song, and now we're going to remind each other through the word just how amazing Jesus is. So thank you for being here this morning, and thank you for blessing him and praising him, for he truly is worthy of all glory. Well, today we are going to talk about moving out of the wilderness of suffering and despair into the promise of grace and power. Out of the wilderness of suffering and despair and into the promise of grace and power. But before we jump into that, I I was thinking this week as I was preparing, I wonder if any of you can relate to this scenario. You're sitting on your couch at home, relaxing, watching a movie, or perhaps an episode of your favorite TV show, enjoying some snacks, And at the climax of the movie or the TV show, halfway through, someone walks in and begins to ask you a hundred questions about what is going on at that moment. Because they haven't been watching it from the beginning like you have. And judging by some of your laughter this morning, you probably want to turn to that person in your family if they're there and say, exactly, you're exactly what he's talking about. But don't do that this morning. But it can be annoying, can't it, to be asked all those questions, but also for the person who's asking the question that just simply wants to understand, it can be annoying why you're not so excited about answering their questions. And so this morning, I want to avoid any frustration in the house of the Lord this morning. And so I'm going to take some time at the front end to bring us all up to speed with what is going on in terms of the passage that we are going to be looking at this morning. And we've been learning throughout this series that the promises of God are always given in a certain what? Context. Good job. You guys are listening. This is fantastic. They're always given in a certain context. And understanding that context is very important so that we ensure we properly interpret the promise of God. And we also properly apply the promise of God to our lives. And this morning's promise, which we're going to be looking at from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and I want you to declare it with me together. The words are on the screen. Let us together read this promise out loud. Are you ready? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, you've had a chance to read it. Now, let's think about what we're saying. Let's read it one more time. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the promise we're going to look at today. So what exactly was going on when this promise was given to the Apostle Paul by Christ? Well, Paul was in Macedonia in between visits uh, to the church in Corinth. And he was prompted to write a letter to them that we know as 2 Corinthians. And his prompting was out of a very serious burden that he had for the believers in the church in Corinth. Because you see, there was a group of false apostles, also known as super apostles, 
who had infiltrated the church in Corinth, and Paul was afraid of the negative influence these apostles were going to have on the believers in Corinth. So much so that in chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul was worried this is what was going to happen under the influence of these false apostles. He described them as deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. These men were probably great preachers who shared their message with great passion and with great conviction and and with excellent skill. But the danger was they were spreading a different gospel. They were preaching a false gospel. They were preaching a good news that did not line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ that the believers in Corinth had received from Paul. And Paul was concerned for them. And as I was studying this week, I learned that if there was one thing that got Paul fired up, More than anything else, it was when people distorted the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in the letter he wrote to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You know, brothers and sisters, probably more than any other time in the history of the world, we have access to more preaching and listening to more preachers than we've ever had. May I just encourage you, as I've encouraged myself this week, be very careful that you don't just listen to people because of their passion, because of their conviction, because of their excellent communication skills. Make sure that you're using ears that are discerning and make sure that what you are listening to is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so out of a concern for the believers in Corinth that they would somehow be uh, torn away from the true gospel, Paul wrote this letter. But there was a second concern that was weighing heavy on Paul's heart and mind that he felt, as you'll see we read today, he felt very reluctant to address for fear that he would be misunderstood. But he realized he had to deal with this issue with the church in Corinth. And that was the need to defend his authority, his conduct, his suffering, and his credentials as a true apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, this group of false apostles that had come from the outside and were infiltrating the church in Corinth, their main tactic for earning credibility with the believers in the church so they could spread their false gospel was to attack the character, the credibility, and the credentials of Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ. They accused him of being fickle. His loyalties and his affections changed very quickly. Believers, you should not trust Paul. They accused him of being weak in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says they said about him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. For some say, referring to the false apostles, his letters are weighty and forceful, speaking of Paul's writing, but in person, he is unimpressive. Wow, that's not very nice. 
He's unimpressive. And listen to this. His speaking amounts to nothing. They viewed his gentleness and his meekness with which he interacted in person with the believers in Corinth as weakness. In contrast to his writing that was weighty and strong, they said. They would say in person, Paul lacked the charisma, the personality of a great leader. And you have to understand, in the Greek culture of Corinth, where speakers with charisma and strong communication skills were highly valued. So describing Paul's speaking abilities as amounting to nothing was only more evidence for them that he was not a true apostle. They criticized him because he didn't accept support from the church in Corinth. Now, it's not that Paul was against the church supporting preachers because in his first letter to them, you can read about it, he defends the right for preachers to receive support from the church. But while he was in Corinth, he chose intentionally not to receive support from the believers there. Why? So that he would not be a burden to them. He didn't want to be a burden to them. So instead, he earned a living as a tent maker while he ministered in Corinth. So even his good intentions with a pure heart, were criticized by these false apostles. And they accused him of being a counterfeit because he did not receive a fee, a charge for his speaking. And again, in the culture of Corinth, the importance of a teacher was measured by the fee that they charged. So Paul's refusal to charge for his speaking was only more fuel for them to add to their claims that Paul is a counterfeit apostle. And so in the midst of a serious concern for the souls of the believers in Corinth and a reluctance to defend his apostleship in light of a smear campaign that was to discredit him, we arrive at our text this morning where we find in this midst of all that's going on this wonderful promise of Christ that was given to Paul and is available for you and I today. So I'd encourage you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will read the first 10 verses. Paul writing, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Do you see how when we started to read that chapter, if we had just jumped into that passage this morning, I'm sure many of us reading those first seven verses would have a lot of questions about what is going on here. I mean, Paul's talking about this experience. He doesn't know if it's in the body or if it's out of the body, but it definitely was to paradise, the third heaven, and he, he heard things that he's not permitted to say, what the world is going on here? But now that we have the background, now that we understand that one of the main purposes for Paul writing this letter was to, although reluctantly, defend his apostleship and the charges that were being brought against him. And so in these first seven verses, all Paul is simply doing is tackling one more of those charges that these false apostles were making against him. And their accusation was Paul's teaching lacked personal spiritual experiences. Experiences of a mystical nature, such as visions and revelations from the Lord, which were highly respected in the Greek culture of Corinth. That is why these false apostles, knowing what mattered to the listeners, conducted themselves not according to the true gospel, but according to what the culture valued and what they wanted to hear. That's why the false apostles always boasted in their external strengths and their abilities and these mystical experiences which they proclaimed to have had. But Paul, on the other hand, completely the opposite. He did not commend himself. He did not boast in his strengths or in his abilities or revelations and mystical experiences that he truly did have with the Lord. No, Paul, on the other hand, realized, I do not want to do anything to draw attention to myself or to make me look good. I only want to draw attention to the power of Christ in me. And even though Paul was reluctant to engage in boasting, and he says it was foolish. He did it so that he could expose the lies of these false apostles and encourage the believers in Corinth to stick to the true gospel. And even when he engaged in that kind of boasting, you see what he said here, I must go on boasting, although there's no benefit to be gained. But if you want to talk to me about revelations and visions from the Lord, okay, I will share what has happened. But even when he did it, what did he say he would boast in? his weaknesses. He said he would boast in his weaknesses. Why? He answers that question in verse 6. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. As I read that this week, it just jumped out to me. As disciples of Jesus Christ, in our homes, in our communities, as we gather together, let us remember to conduct ourselves in such a way that no one will think more of us than is warranted by what we do or by what we say. Let's live the disciple life. Let's live as followers of Jesus Christ and let's trust that his strength in us to live that way is what will affirm in people's minds whether we are true disciples of Jesus Christ or not. And so this is why for the first time, can you imagine having this experience? God somehow catches you up into his very presence and you hear things that just are unbelievable that you're not permitted to share and having to keep that quiet for 14 years and not tell anyone. Isn't that something? But that's why for 14 years, Paul hasn't said anything to anyone about this experience that he's testifying to. And here he opens his heart about this personal experience where God caught him up into his very presence And note how he even describes his experience in what? The third person. 
In the third person, again, evidence of his reluctance to want to draw attention to himself as he faces the need to defend his apostleship. But it is through Paul's testimony of his personal experience with God Almighty that I want us today in the time remaining to highlight three lessons we can learn from Paul related to suffering that will help us to move out of the wilderness of suffering and despair and into the promise of Christ's grace and power. Amen? So let us look at the first lesson that I see from Paul's life as related through his testimony. Being saved, brothers and sisters, does not give us immunity from all suffering and pain in this life. Being saved does not give us immunity from all suffering and pain in this life. Why? Because suffering is a reality of the broken and fallen world we live in. And if you've been watching TV this week, the evil, the tragic and inhumane actions that have been going on in Ukraine this past week have just been another sobering reminder of this truth. We live in a broken and a fallen world. And although our experiences with suffering may vary in kind and may vary in intensity, all of us who are saved here this morning would testify 100% that Pastor Kelvin being saved has not made me immune from suffering and pain in this life. And you all have testimonies to that. And so similar to the lies of the prosperity gospel that is being preached in so many churches in our day and age. These false apostles in in Corinth were preaching a message that did not include or even mention suffering or pain, but rather their message glorified human prosperity. Church family, the message being preached in Paul's day And sadly, the message being preached in a lot of churches in our day does not line up with the pages of God's Word. I want to read you a quote from a book that I have that I highly recommend. Every Christian should have this book. It's written by Paul Tripp, and it's called Suffering. Biblical hope when life makes no sense. Biblical hope when life makes no sense. And I want to read a quote from his book, and there's a couple of other quotes that I just really appreciated as I referenced his material this week that are in your notes. Follow along with me on the screen. Suffering is presented to us as the normal experience of everyone living between the fall of Adam and Eve and the future coming of Christ. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. From Genesis 3 on, the biblical writers don't present to us a sanitized version of life. Rather, it presents a broken world populated by fallen people where nothing or no one functions in the way that God intended. Scripture works to prepare us, not so we would live in fear, but so we will be ready for the things we will all face. I heard Paul Tripp speak at a conference we were at a few years ago in Louisville. And his challenge through his experience of suffering to those who attended the conference and heard him speak that day was, do you have a biblical theology of suffering personally? Do you know and understand suffering from a biblical perspective? And his challenge that day was, if you don't, you need to form your own biblical understanding and form a theology of suffering. Because suffering is going to visit us all because we live in a broken and fallen world. But not only that, suffering is a reality of living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Isn't this encouraging? Number one, we're all going to suffer because we all live in a broken world. Number two, if you're saved, you're going to suffer for following Jesus Christ. Wow. Don't worry. There's good news coming. There's good news coming. If you notice what Paul said in his testimony in verse 10, he said, For Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For Christ's sake. You can read in chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, where we're presented in a context of weakness and the resurrection life. Paul saying, for his name. For his name. So you see this, for his sake, for his name. Living as a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we are going to suffer. If you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to read for you verses 12 to 16. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 16. This is in the context of suffering as a Christian. Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. If you suffer for the name of God, that is part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What about Paul when he, in his conversion on the road to Damascus? And then he was sent into the city. And if you remember in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, there was a man named Ananias who was to go to Paul and give him a message. And Paul's eyesight would be restored. Listen to the message Paul got at the time of his conversion. You tell me if this sounds like the prosperity gospel. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, referring to Saul, who is now Paul. And their kings and to the people of Israel. Listen to what the first message, one of the first messages Paul heard after his experience with Christ on the road to Damascus. Ananias, tell him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. What a start to a journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 verses 18. To 21, Jesus speaking to the disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way. Why? Because of my name. Because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And then last week, what did we learn from, from John chapter 16, verse 33, in the message of peace in Christ? In this world, we are going to have trouble. Don't be surprised. If you are saved this morning, you are going to have trouble for living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do any of the scriptures we referred to this morning sound like the prosperity gospel preached today in so many churches? Or the pain-free living that these false apostles were peddling in the church in Corinth? In fact, you and I both know, in the case of the disciples other than Judas who betrayed Christ and took his own life, 
The other 11 suffered greatly for their faith and in most cases met violent deaths on account of being a disciple of Christ. What about Paul? Turn back to chapter 11. Let's listen to his testimony of what Ananias said to him at the beginning of his journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen to how this came true in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. Referring to the false apostles, Paul writes, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure for my concern for all the churches. How easy you and I forget. We lose perspective. And I'm not belittling or making little of whatever the suffering you might be going through or the suffering that I might be going through. But sometimes we just forget how good we really have it, don't we? I was in line yesterday at Value Village in Vaughan. If you want to go to Value Village, that's the best one to go to. Because I don't know what cultures make up Vaughan, but they have nice clothes. And so we went there yesterday, and I was in line, two cashiers, really long line, and we were patiently waiting. And some gentleman just came in from the outside of the store, went straight to the cashier because he wanted something from the locked cabinet, and this cashier left her spot, and went and dealt with him. Well, the lady who was first in line, I don't know what nationality she was from, but she was not happy. And she started to kick up a fuss, and it was uncomfortable, and I'm just going, okay, 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 okay. Anyway, the lady finally comes back, and she checks out. Well, the lady who'd been waiting in front of us, she turns around to me and says, I'm so sorry, I'm also getting something from that cabinet. <laughs> so do you know what I said to her? I said, it's not a problem. You and I are not in the Ukraine being bombed right now. And she looked at me and she said, you're right. We can lose perspective so quickly. And then you read what Paul suffered as a disciple of Christ. Wow, it just brings some perspective. So brothers and sisters, we should not be surprised when suffering visits us. We live in a broken and fallen world. And specifically in the West, we should not be surprised when suffering visits us for living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So how does being saved help us then? If being saved doesn't make us immune to suffering and pain in this world, how does being saved help us in the midst of suffering and pain in this life while we wait for that glorious day that we all know is true and it's coming in Revelation 21.4 where there's no more dying, there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain for the old order of things. What we're living through right now will be gone. How does being saved, Pastor Kelvin, help me today in the midst of my suffering? The second lesson I learned from Peter is that being saved gives us the ability, the ability to see our suffering from a different perspective. In Paul's case, 
he was able to recognize that this thorn in his flesh was meant to keep him from being conceited. What were the false apostles? Proud, conceited. And Paul recognized, I was given this suffering, this thorn in my flesh, to keep me from becoming like them. Even though I had this incredible experience and revelation with God that I can't tell you about. God gave me this so that I would not become conceited. We don't know when God made his purpose clear to Paul. But sometime over the last 14 years, Paul was able to come to understand that the suffering, this thorn in his flesh, had a purpose Being saved allows us to see that suffering has a purpose. And we don't know what the nature of this thorn in the flesh was. But we know from the metaphor that Paul used to describe it, it was painful. Most commentators believe Paul suffered some kind of physical affliction, an illness of some kind, something perhaps like malaria, which had tormented him for 14 years and had no doubt taken its toll on him. And probably that's why the effects of his infirmity contributed to the criticism that the false apostles were making, that this man is weak. Look at his physical appearance. Although in the midst of suffering, it may be confusing. It may be chaotic. And God may not make the details of his purposes for your suffering known immediately to you. This is why you need to have a theology of suffering already in your heart based on God's word. So that in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the chaos, you're able to comfort yourself with God's word and know that the Bible teaches my suffering has purpose. My suffering has purpose. And we know from James, all trials of many kinds produces good in us. Paul earlier in his letter in chapter two, verses, uh, in chapter one, sorry, verses three to nine, reveals that suffering helps to destroy self-reliance. It exposes self-righteousness. It prepares us for how God will use us. Paul in his letter is talking about how he has received the comfort of God. Now he's able to share that with others. And finally, probably the biggest lesson I'm learning in my life currently right now, even though I'm not in a season of suffering, I'm just becoming more aware. Suffering does teach us that this world is not our final home. This world is not our final home. What we suffer is not a failure of God's plan, but actually a tool that he uses to help us to get in line with his plan so that we will love what he's prepared for us more than the love we have for our present comfort. Being saved allows me to understand that suffering has a purpose. But not only that, it helps me to see suffering as God-ordained. It's not just random. Paul says, I was given In verse 7, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Does that sound familiar to you about some other experience in the Old Testament you've read about? Job, right? Just like Job, Satan was the immediate cause of Paul's pain and torment. But in in reality, God, who is sovereign over all, permitted it to happen 14 years ago. And Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and then listen closely, the world and all who live in it. Therefore, does it not make sense that everything that happens in heaven or earth and in the lives of everyone who lives on the earth happens only with God's permission? That's why this week, this passage of scripture was just so... Applicable to what's going on in the world. I don't understand. 
I see the horrific damage and the heartbreak and the inhumane actions towards one another. But because I'm learning to build a, suff- a theology of suffering and a theology of understanding that God is sovereign in our world, I don't understand. But I know that God is in control. And I know that he has permitted what is happening on this earth to accomplish his divine purposes that right now we might not be able to see. Can you think of other examples in Scripture where that has happened? What about Joseph? Do you remember the story of Joseph? What happened after they had buried his father? All the brothers were worried that Joseph was going to pay them back in full for all the suffering that they had caused him. And how did Joseph respond? Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Listen, do not be afraid, Joseph said, for am I in God's place? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You see, by God's grace, Joseph was able to now see that his suffering had a purpose, and it was God-ordained. It wasn't random. And what was that purpose? To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16? Could God have kept them out of prison in Philippi? Of course he could have, but he didn't. And why? What was the purpose? Well, through them, he allowed the jailer and his whole household to be saved and to come to believe in God. Okay, what about Jesus? Do you remember how he answered Pilate after Pilate asked him this question during his trial in John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11? Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, listen closely, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even Jesus recognized his father is sovereign over everything that's going on in his life at that specific time. And Jesus' answer indicates that even in the most heinous acts of wickedness, which we are seeing this week, cannot bypass the sovereignty of God. They don't just happen randomly. And when confronted with opposition and evil, Jesus found comfort, solace for his heart in the sovereignty of his Father. So when life is difficult and it's hard to see the purpose in your suffering, we must allow the truth of God's word to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. For Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, in the context of present suffering and the future glory that we are waiting, we know, we know. Do you know, not in your head only, but in your heart so that it affects how you react. Do you know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose? It is impossible for you and me to go through anything outside of God's understanding and his care. And as Paul Tripp rightly states, suffering clarifies for you and for me who is in control. Being saved gives us the ability to see our suffering from a different perspective. Finally, the last lesson I wanna highlight for us this morning from Paul's life is that being saved gives us access to the strength that we need to endure our suffering and to be a witness. Notice how Paul reacted to his thorn in the flesh. What did he do? He pleaded repeatedly through prayer for the Lord to take it away. 
he repeatedly prayed to the Lord to take it away. I don't know if you've been in this situation, but over the last couple of years, I sure have. Have you ever felt that helpless feeling when you're trying to comfort someone in a very difficult situation, going through a difficult circumstance, and you just know in your mind and in your heart that you absolutely cannot relate to the depth of their pain and their suffering that they're going through. Well, here's the good news. When you plead with the Lord through prayer, in the midst of your suffering, he never feels that way. He totally, 100% understands what you are going through in your specific situation. And I would encourage you later today, remind yourself of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, where it talks about Christ, our high priest, understanding and being able to empathize with us in our weakness. Why? Because the one to whom we plead with in prayer has first-hand knowledge. It's not that he can't relate. No, no, no. He has first-hand knowledge of the things that you and I are dealing with. As one author said, Jesus is not a student of our suffering. He became a first-hand participant in it. In our suffering, we have an advocate able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Therefore, we can come to him with confidence. Confidence. Paul repeatedly went to the Lord with confidence that we may find mercy and grace fit for our moment of need. And so Paul had access to the strength that he needed to endure this thorn in the flesh. And he was able to approach the throne of grace. And how did Christ answer his prayer? With a promise. Paul, I hear you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. It's all you need. My power of my crucifixion and resurrected life will be made perfect. You will experience its full presence in your weakness. And so instead of removing the thorn, Christ assured, he guaranteed Paul that his grace would be sufficient for him in the midst of his suffering. And looking out this morning, I know I've journeyed with some of you who have been through seasons of suffering, and I know that if we had time this morning, you could come up and say, this is true. This is true in my life. His grace was totally sufficient for me. His power, I experienced the full presence of his power in my life while I was weak. And why was Paul able to access the throne of grace boldly because of God's saving work in his life on the road to Damascus. He was transformed from being an enemy of Christ to a son of God and given the privilege to approach God's throne of grace in his time of need, and he took advantage of that. And I encourage all of us this morning, let us never forget to approach through prayer the throne of God the throne of grace in our time of need. And even after the service this morning, I'm gonna encourage anyone who you are in the midst of suffering, you are feeling despair in your life, take advantage of the opportunity to agree with another person and go before the throne of grace in prayer so that you may receive help. Lastly, it allows us, our salvation, to experience the grace of power of Christ in our weakness. Don't you want to experience the grace and power of Christ in your life? I sure do. And note the present tense of the promise. It says, my grace was sufficient, 
No, no, no. My grace is sufficient, revealing the constant availability of divine grace. Although Paul did not have his request answered the way he wanted, he was going to experience the continual supply of grace to endure it. And here's something that really stuck out to me this week and was a big application point for me in my life. Often in the church, we talk about the unmerited favor of God's grace in our salvation, which is critical, and we always need to be talking about that. But I realized this week in my own life, I need to upgrade my thankfulness and my reliance on, the div- on God's divine, continuous grace to sustain me in what I'm going through. It's not just about our past forgiveness or our future hope. But when you talk about God's grace, it's also about everything we are facing right now. So let us not stop rejoicing in his saving grace, but let us upgrade our thankfulness in his daily divine gracious power that helps us to face what we are facing each day. And did you notice how after Christ gave Paul the promise, he said, therefore, here's his response to his prayer request that was not answered the way he wanted it. What did Paul do? There's no record after he understood the promise that was given to him by Christ, there's no record that he prayed for it to be removed again. Similar to Jesus, who came to accept the Father's will through fervent prayer in Gethsemane. It seems from the passage we read this morning, from his testimony, that Paul also learned through prayer to submit to Christ's promise that was given to him that day. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, Paul, is made perfect in weakness. And this wonderful promise helped Paul to recognize that his weakness which remained a painful reality in his life. It wasn't removed. It still remained a painful reality in his life. He understood it had purpose. And it was an opportunity, a divine opportunity through which the grace and the power of Christ was going to be fully experienced in his own life, but also revealed to those watching him, the false apostles and the believers in Corinth. God's grace and his power through Paul's weakness was going to be a testimony a revelation to them about the incredible grace and power of Jesus. Paul came to experience Christ's grace and power in a new way. And knowing that God was using his suffering to reveal his great grace and power, Paul says in verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Don't you want Christ's power to rest on you in your life this week? And because of what he experienced, the grace and power of Christ in his life during his weakness, he was able to declare this key discipleship principle for living in verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong because I have the grace and the power of Christ enabling me to endure and to be a witness. Brothers and sisters, this morning as we conclude our service, let us not forget, being saved does not give us immunity from all suffering and pain in this world, but being saved does give us the ability to see suffering from a different perspective, and it gives us access to the strength that we need to endure in suffering and remain a witness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your encouraging word to us today. Thank you for 
helping us to begin to formulate a theology of suffering that is based on your word, not on what we want, but on your word. And thank you that we have witnessed through the testimony of Paul that your grace is sufficient and your power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. And so, Father, thank you for many examples we can read in Scripture and not only that, examples that we have through relationships one with another where we have found this promise to become true. And so, Father, would you please help us, help us, I pray, to truly understand we don't need to live in fear for your grace is sufficient and your power will be made perfect in our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brothers and sisters, if our weaknesses are the platform for the revelation of Christ's grace and power, what does your life and what does my life reveal to the world? The famous 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon, who suffered so much himself, told his congregation that one of the central points in the promise that we've studied today in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, is that God's grace, underlined, is now sufficient for whatever need we are facing. It is easy, he went on to say, to believe in grace for the past and the future, but to rest in it for the immediate necessity is true faith. And so I would encourage you this morning as we conclude our service, if you are in a season of suffering and despair and you want God's help to move out of that into the grace and power through Christ, then please come forward after the service. Allow us to pray with you. And if you're here this morning and you are not saved, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please understand that you are not able to see your suffering from a different perspective. It just doesn't make sense to you. But not only that, you do not have access to the strength that you need to endure your suffering. But you can today, just like on that road to Damascus when Jesus came and visited Paul and turned his life around. You too can experience that today. Please come forward. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. You saw the transformation it made in Paul's life. And he got to learn how to rest in the grace and power of Christ in his weakness. And we would love for you to experience that as well. Thank you so much for being here this morning. May God bless you as you go your way. And for those joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. Let us rest in the grace and power of Christ. It is sufficient. Amen.